Thanks, Sam. Well, today we are continuing our series on work. And uh, so far in the series, we've established, hopefully, a couple of things. Number one, that through our work, we love God. Paul said, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And then number two, we also love our neighbors through our work. And so those are really two sides of the same coin. And one way to think about it is to think about even this, this room that we're gathered in. For this room to be a place that is conducive for worship, hundreds, if not thousands of people needed to do their work well, let me just give some examples. This is, this is not exhaustive, obviously. But people like, you know, again, I'm talking about this room, this physical space. I'm talking about architects, engineers, crane operators, concrete workers, heavy equipment operators, loggers, mill workers. We've got wood on the doors, the trim, uh, all of this. People in the textile industry. We've got carpet, the, the chair coverings, the wall coverings, uh, carpenters, painters, carpet layers, code inspectors, you could go on and on and on, right? And then you've got the people that, that provided the raw materials to make all the things that we see and the electronic equipment, the people that, tra that transported it here. Uh, and then you've got power. I mean, we've got power in this room. How many people does it take to keep the power grid up and running? And so if we believe this is the will of God that we're here worshiping today, we have to acknowledge all these thousands of people that have done their work well in order for this, this room to be conducive to worship. And so today we're going to build on this foundational perspective that through our work, we work, through our work, we serve God and our neighbors. And we're going to discuss how God uses our work if we let him. He uses our work to form us spiritually, to form us into the image of Christ. The, the scriptures make clear that we are supposed to experience God in all of life, not just in a few discrete spiritual activities, but we're supposed to experience God in all of life. And surely that includes our work. It would be an odd thing indeed if we entered into a relationship with God through the new covenant and it did not affect the best hours of our week, what we do week in and week out. So I've got a visual for you. This is a, this is a calendar I want you to look at. It's okay if you can't read it. So the green, this is a person's work week. The green is work, and the purple is uh, this person's spiritual activities. God loves purple, so I, I put that, that there. <laughs> And so this person works eight to five, okay? That's not my work week. That may not be your work week, but this person works eight to five. And that's the, the block of this person's week is working. So that's the green. Uh, the purple represents this person's spiritual activities. And so on Sunday, you're here. So this would be you. You're spending an hour, maybe an hour and a half transit total coming to worship God, listen for his voice, express your, your affection for him. Uh, this person gets up at 6 a.m. every morning and spends 45 minutes or so meeting with God, reading the word, and praying. This person is also part of a group, so on Wednesday night, there's a time blocked out to have spiritual conversations to pray with other people. And so th this person is, is doing what we, we hope most Christians would do. There are corporate times of worship. There are private individual types, times of worship. Here's the question. What's the relationship between the purple time and the green time? 
is there any relationship? Or are these two separate worlds? I do my spiritual stuff here and my work I do here. Or do the two fuel each other? Does the purple time fuel the green time? Does the green time fuel the pur purple time? I think you would agree that it would be an odd thing indeed if somebody knew personally the one true living God, left worship and said, goodbye God, and didn't say hello again until 6 a.m. the next morning. It would be a strange thing if a person said goodbye to God at 6.45 and didn't say hello again until 6 a.m. the next morning. The vision given in Scripture is that we should set apart times to seek God corporately with other people and individually and then continue paying attention to God the rest of the week. And of course, this would include the hours we spend working. We remain teachable. We remain attentive to God as we work. To do anything else is to push God to the margins of our lives. To do anything else is to say, God, I'm going to be generous this week and give you eight hours. But the other 160 hours, they're mine. They're off limits. I'm really not listening to you. And so the big idea today is that since our work is such a core part of our lives, we should expect, we should anticipate that God desires to use our work to refine us and to conform us into the image of Christ. So what we're going to talk about today is remaining attentive to God and teachable so we notice and learn what God wants to teach us and that we submit to God's refining process or else we'll become hardened to his will. I, I love seeing students here, those of you who are preparing for your career. Part of our vision as a church is to equip you for after school when you enter into the career to not see it. That's something that's a distraction or something, a, a necessary evil, but we want you to see it. This is one of the ways that I serve God and serve my neighbor. And God uses my work to form me spiritually. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to use Paul's instruction to Timothy as kind of a template for how we should view all of our work. Uh, Timothy's work involved being a pastor in the city of Ephesus. And what we know from the book of Ephesians is that it was a basically healthy church. Like all churches, it had its issues, but it was basically a healthy, mature, growing church. And so Paul wrote letters to Timothy. We call those letters First and Second Timothy. And he said, I'm writing these things so that you will know how to conduct yourself in the church, which is the household of God. It's the pillar and support of truth. If the church falls down, the truth falls down with it. It's not held up for the world to see as God desires. And in that context, in these letters, Paul also stressed how Timothy was to pay attention to his own spiritual formation as a pastor. He was supposed to avoid some habits and cultivate other things. And so Paul gave Timothy very specific instruction about his own spiritual formation. It was based on his knowledge of Timothy personally, his knowledge of Ephesus. He had been there. He was there probably more than any other church he planted and his knowledge of spiritual formation in general. And what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.16 is pay close attention to yourself and to your work. Pay attention to two things, yourself and your work. This is how he says it in 1 Timothy 4.16. He says, pay close attention to yourself 
and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And so I needed to pay attention to two things, right? Pay attention to yourself and to your teaching. And of course, teaching was Timothy's work. That's what he was to do. These two areas were to be the ongoing focus of his attention. And Paul says a striking thing. He says to persevere in these things. The verse before he said, be absorbed in these things. Never let them be far from your mind. And the two were related. If he paid attention to himself, if he paid attention to whether or not his spiritual gifts were being manifested, whether the fruit of the spirit was evident in his life, that would affect his work as a teacher. And as a result, Paul said, he said, he said this in 1 Timothy 4.15, the previous verse, that his progress would be evident to all. If, you, if you're absorbed in these things, your progress will be evident to all. The second half of the verse is, it catches your attention. He actually says, if you do this, you will save yourself and you will save those who hear you. Uh, and, and so it's a striking statement. Uh, I'm not going to take m- much time to explain that. We, we post the manuscript on the website, and there's a note at the end of the manuscript if you want to see more detail. But basically, I think Paul is saying, Timothy, if you persevere in these things, your salvation will be confirmed. Obviously, he didn't save himself by being a good teacher, but his sal- those who persevere to the end will be saved. He would confirm his own salvation, and since he was teaching the gospel in power, those who hear him and receive that message, they too will experience salvation. So whether Timothy paid attention to himself and his teaching, it had life or death consequences in the church at Ephesus. My premise this morning is that Paul's challenge to Timothy has application for every Christian in his or her work. All of us should pay attention both to ourselves and to our work. And so if Paul were writing a general contractor, I think he would say, pay close attention to yourself and the houses that you build and remodel. Pay close attention to both of them. If he were writing to someone in retail, I think he would say, pay close attention to yourself and to the customers you serve and the sales that you make. And so what Paul tells Timothy can serve as a template for all Christians in their work. So to stimulate our thinking today, I want us to to first, to just look at a couple of examples. First, consider an example of the type of thing Timothy was supposed to pay attention to in his work, and then consider an example of how Timothy was supposed to pay attention to himself. And I think it will be instructive for all of us. Let's think about how Timothy should pay attention to his work. And this is what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And Paul basically tells Timothy, you should do these two, same two things that we've been talking about. You should realize that through your, your work as a pastor, teacher, you're serving God and you're loving other people. Both things are in play. Uh, a representative command is given in 2 Timothy 2.15 about how Timothy needed to to pay attention to his work of teaching. He writes this. He says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman or as a laborer who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. 
And so just like everybody else who works, it says, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. You need to think of yourself, Timothy, as a laborer, as a workman who is accountable to God. And since his work involved te uh, teaching the scriptures, Paul told him to be diligent as opposed to lazy and to be accurate as opposed to being sloppy or careless when it came to the word of truth. And the word of truth would have been the, the Hebrew scriptures. It would have been the gospel that Paul had taught him. Uh, and it would have been the other writings of, of the apostles, however many of those that, that he had. But instead of being lazy and sloppy in the way he taught scriptures, Timothy was to be diligent and accurate. And again, I would say this is a template for all of us. Think about your work, what you do day after day, whether you're an accountant or a physical therapist or whether you're a, a physician or whether you're a professor, whether you do research, uh, whether you're an extension, uh, whether you, you're a student, whatever you do, you need to be diligent and accurate. Nobody wants you to do your work uh, with, with laziness and sloppiness. And so nobody wants their dentist, for example, to be lazy and sloppy. Nobody wants their dentist or their surgeon to say, oops, I pulled the wrong tooth. I, I operated on the wrong part. Nobody wants their cashier at the store to be lazy and sloppy. Sorry, I overcharged you, but it, it is a pain to give a re refund. And so don't worry about it. Just steal something the next time you come in. <laughs> or nobody wants their, their plumber to say, oh, I just can't reach that, that underneath that sink. I'm just put a bucket under there, okay? Just make do. No, diligence, accuracy is valued in every, every type of work. Since Timothy's main work was studying and teaching the scriptures, the writings, diligence, and accuracy were vital if he's really going to love God and love other people through his work. Well, let's think of an example of how he's supposed to pay attention to himself. Paul made very clear in a number of different places, it's not enough to teach well if your life doesn't back up the message. It really doesn't matter what you teach. It's not going to have power. It's not going to have authority if your life uh, doesn't illustrate and confirm the goodness of what you're teaching. And so Paul wrote Timothy, pay close attention to yourself. Uh, if he neglected himself, what Jesus said somewhat tongue-in-cheek about the Pharisees would apply to him. In Matthew 23, he said of the Pharisees, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. And I can tell you firsthand, it's a lot easier to pay attention to your teaching than to your life. Uh, it, it just is. That's why a scripture such as Ezra 7.10 is so critical for a teacher. There, uh, it says that the good hand of the Lord was upon Ezra because he had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach it. Study, practice, and teach. There's these, these subtle temptations to study and preach, study and preach. Sunday's speeding at you. Don't worry about practicing it. Study and, and, and preach. But uh, Paul said, pay close attention to yourself. As a follower of Christ, the two go together. And the same thing is true for every one of us in our work. You will not serve God the way you should. You will not love your neighbor as you should if you don't pay attention to yourself. 
Well, so what did Paul have in mind when he told Timothy to pay attention to himself as a pastor? Well, you read it throughout First and Second Timothy. He mentions all these ways Timothy should pay attention. But in the previous uh, verses in First Timothy 4.12, here's a great example. And this has application for really all types of work, really. But he says this. He says, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Timothy was probably in his 30s when Paul wrote this. So obviously he was just a young pup. He was just, just starting out, right? And so let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather, and then he mentions these five virtues, these five areas where he can be an example to people. You want to know what a believer looks like? Here you go. Be an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. And so these were the virtues that Timothy was to cultivate and integrate into his work as a pastor. This is on-the-job training. These are the types of things that you learn, you cultivate as you do this work. Well, let's just consider one example. And again, this is one that just, it relates to everybody, okay? Speech. Both the Old and New Testament stress that our speech, what we say and how we say it, is an indication of the condition of our hearts. Jesus said it. The mouth speaks from whatever fills the heart. Angry people say angry things. Kind people say kind things. You can't fake this. The mouth speaks whatever fills the heart. And so Timothy, uh, even when he was saying something that might be hard to hear, some type of correction, he was supposed to pay attention to his speech. For example, in 2 Timothy 2.24, Paul wrote this. He said, the Lord's bondservant, the one who says, my loyalty is to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And so the goal was repentance. The goal is for, for people to get it and to, to, to turn from sin and come back to God. And so it was never enough just to speak the truth. He said, you have to avoid quarrelsome, being quarrelsome. You shouldn't be a person that just loves to fight or is just looking to win an argument. You're trying to win somebody's heart here. And so he says, be on the, the lookout for things like uh, a lack of kindness, a lack of patience, a lack of gentleness. And so Timothy needed to cultivate these things. And again, if he paid attention uh, during the green time, Timothy's work, if he paid attention, he would have weekly, if not daily opportunities to cultivate this heart of, of kindness, to put, put aside this quarrelsome way of, of speaking with people. And he would grow as a, and learn and be an example when it comes to speech. And so people would say, you want to know how believers, people who actually believe in Jesus, speak? Look at Timothy. He's an example. He's a shining example of that. And so as Timothy paid attention to his speech, God would reveal impatience, pride, harshness. If Timothy remained teachable, he would, come, he would become skillful in teaching people. He would see people correct uh, receive correction and come back to God. And the same thing is true in your work. The way you speak with people matters. 
how effective you are in doing your work in large part, depending on your work, large part will, will, will be, be, uh, depend on how you speak with them. And so you will progressively become, become the type of person who can represent Christ well in the workplace. This past week, I asked several people uh, to tell me about their work, and I asked them to tell me two things. Number one, what's an example of the way God has refined you in your work? As you've paid attention to God and his work and what he's doing in your life, how has God refined you? And then as you've paid attention, what's an example of some either sin or weakness or, or some deficiency that has surfaced in the context of your work? And so I'm going to read these. I'll just give you the, the type of work that each one does, and, uh, and uh, hopefully it'll remain anonymous. Don't go, go scouting around too much. But this is a physician. As a phys- this, this physician wrote this. As a physician, God gives me opportunities to treat everyone with compassion and grace. One patient may have a common cold, and the next patient may have cancer, and both deserve compassion and grace. And so here's someone. Some people get hardened. Some people get bitter by seeing so much tragedy and hardship week after week. This person is learning compassion and grace. Something hard. This person writes, I have struggled with job satisfaction for years. I really don't like my job. But God has given me certain gifts that allow me to be good at what I do. I've even had people communicate to me that they feel blessed by the work I do. Over time, I've come to realize that I am where God wants me to be, even if I don't want to be there. Submitting my life to God in this capacity has proven to be difficult and confusing, but I do see how it has borne fruit in my life and the lives of others. At this point, I believe that learning to be content in a job I dislike is simply part of the sanctification process. God is teaching me to be content in all circumstances, and though I may be a slow and reluctant learner, I am making progress. Probably almost every one of us at one time or another has thought the grass is greener somewhere else, right? But he's learning contentment. He's learning learning to, uh, to trust God and be content. An architect uh, writes this, God has taught me to have a heart of thanksgiving about my work. I am more and more thankful each day for the people I can influence and the community I can support through design and community outreach. Architecture is an amazing field because my reach is broad and I can touch a lot of lives I would have no business reaching otherwise. This thanksgiving also really allows me to fully engage my work as to the Lord and to be joyful even in the the minutia of the day to day. It's definitely been an evolution. I always thought I never wanted to be an architect, but here we are, okay? And so thankfulness, what an amazing thing to, to learn in the context of a career. This architect also said, work has brought out greed in my life. Just because it's hard to balance the line between having a successful business and one that takes advantage of people. You pay attention, you'll notice what God wants to refine in your life. Uh, An RA at K-State, a resident assistant in a dorm, uh, was talking with 
that person this week, and uh, he realized that he ab- absolutely dislikes confrontation, and yet confronting people is a part of his job. There are certain standards, there are certain behaviors, there are certain, uh, certain things that have to be done to protect people and make the experience of living in a dorm better. And so through scripture and prayer, God showed him that he sometimes cares too much about what people think about him. And God is teaching that it's okay if people dislike him if he's pleasing God. So he's learning to let go of the fear of people. He's learning to love people even when he has to confront them. I talked to someone else this week who uh, in her work uh, toggles between feelings of pride and feelings of inferiority. Pride because she's really, really good at what she does. But the smallest critique or the bad report she just feels like worthless. And so she, she's learning to find her identity in Christ. And so you see how this could work in your work if you pay attention. So my challenge for you this week is to pay attention to yourself. As you do your work, pay attention to yourself. What is God teaching you? How might God want to refine you? How is he exposing things in your heart that require repentance and turning? So consider again this this calendar. I think we got it here. Consider again this this calendar. Discipleship involves, by definition, uh, being teachable. A disciple is a learner. It, It involves being teachable in all of life. And I think that if you find, if you pay attention to yourself in the green time, your purple times may be incredibly more significant. And so, for example, if God surfaces pride in the green time and you realize I'm actually arrogant toward a lot of people in my work, in the purple time, you go to God and you talk about it and you lay it out there and you search the scriptures and you try to understand the mind of Christ when it comes to to pride. And then you, you listen to what God says And then as you enter back into your work, you remain attentive. You remain teachable. Let God show you how he can burn away that pride and replace it with humility. And so the green times fuel the purple times and vice versa, okay? Uh, The alternative is to push God to the margins of your life and basically ignore him during the best hours of your week. If you pay attention and you are teachable and attentive to God, this could be life changing for you. And I would say if you're bored in the purple times, if you're bored in worship and you're bored when you come to God in prayer and the word, it may be that you're not bringing the most relevant part of your life to him. You may find that this is revolutionary. Paul said, pay attention to yourself and to your work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that this week we would pay attention not only to our work. We do pray that we would pay attention to our work, that we would love you and love our neighbors through our work, but also that we would pay close attention to ourselves. God, life is short. and We don't want to fritter away the, the years without receiving what you want to give us. We pray that we would understand that you're a father who disciplines those that he loves. We pray, God, we would would, uh, understand the things you're doing 
in us through our work, that we might uh, find greater joy, greater effectiveness in our work, that we would do more good, we would bring you more glory through our work. And so we submit ourselves to you now and, uh, and this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.